This morning we start a brand new series of messages. We start a brand new series of messages. They come from a different part of the Bible. We've been in the New Testament for quite some time. We're now in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the part of the Bible that leads us up to Jesus. The New Testament is the story that tells us all about Jesus. So this is the part of the Bible that's leading us to uh, Jesus. We're coming from a completely different time frame. Uh, we're dealing with about 500 years earlier than what we were talking about when we talked about the church in Thessalonica. So we've jumped backwards in time about 500 years. And we're also coming from a completely different part of the world. You can kind of see uh, on this map up there on the top left is Thessalonica where we've been. That's modern day Greece and Macedonia up there. We are now coming all the way over here on the right where there's a little arrow there that says Babylon. And then you can see there in the center of the map uh, is the city of Jerusalem. So you have Thessalonica where we've been. We're coming all the way across the world to Babylon. And right there is Jerusalem. Now the people of God are in Babylon. They're not in Jerusalem. And that really is the crux of the story that we're dealing with because their hearts, their minds, their spirit, they exist in Jerusalem, but their bodies exist in Babylon. But the fact that they're far from home only begins to scratch the surface of the issues that they're dealing with. Because when they are in Babylon, they are in captivity. Basically, they are prisoners of war. If they wanted to go home, they can't go home. They have been picked up as the, the rewards of war, carried away by armies, placed under guard there in Babylon as a captive people. They live in captivity. They also live with some degree of poverty. The people that the Babylonians picked up and carried away were primarily the successful, the wealthy, the rich, the people who had sense of order. And when Babylon picked them up, he didn't say, pack your bags, bring all of your good stuff. They took that away and carried them away so that they went from being successful people with all of the signals and symbols of their success to having all of that stripped away. Now, some of them started over and turned out to have some new success where they were, but they lost everything that they had. They're in captivity. They're dealing with poverty. But I would tell you the thing that they are struggling most with is the fact that they are in despair. Because the things that they care most about are gone. You see, they were a people who were so devoted and so loved the place that God had given to them. They, they were a people who were so affectionate for this place called Jerusalem and the temple that was there in the middle of Jerusalem. And now on this day, they sit in Babylon far from home. But that temple that they loved, that temple that they valued, that temple that was their pride and their joy, it is gone. It was destroyed. It was picked apart. It was torn to pieces. And when they were finished, they burned it to the ground so that there is nothing left there but a heap of rubble. And it wasn't just the temple, but it was the city itself, the city that was defined by the quality of its walls that said, this is a place it is a secure place. It is a safe place. It is a defined place. And those walls, 
have been destroyed, torn down, burned, so that there is no definition. If you were to go and try to find the city of Jerusalem, all that you would find is a heap of rubble. And so the people sit there in Babylon in despair. Because all of the things that they loved, all of the things that they care about are rubble. It shouldn't be that way. They didn't deserve that. That shouldn't be the way it is. But there it is. What they care about most, what they're most passionate about, the places that are deepest in their heart, is nothing but a pile of rubble. You ever been there? I don't mean Jerusalem, I don't mean Babylon, but have you ever been to the place where the things that you care most about just feel like a heap of rubble? Now maybe it was a fire, maybe it was a flood, maybe it was a, maybe it was a hurricane, maybe it wasn't literally the heap of rubble but maybe it was a dream, maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was marriage, maybe it was a situation with your kids, maybe it was your health, maybe it was a loss of a loved one, maybe it was a career, maybe it was a reputation, whatever it was that was deep inside of you that you cared most about and all of a sudden you are sitting there looking at it and it is a pile of rubble. I think sometimes when we watch the news and we see the film crews show up after one of these catastrophic events. They always capture the people walking around the rubble with this glazed look over their face because they can't believe what they've lost and they can't imagine a future. It is my conviction that there are many, many people who can relate today to what the people of God felt there in Babylon. I believe that some of your friends, some of your neighbors, some of your family, and I think it's quite possible that some folks in this room right now can relate to this idea that the things that you love, the things that you care for, the things that matter to you are a heap of rubble and you sit here with a glazed look on your face. How did I get here? And is there any future beyond this? Well, this morning I have good news for you. I have good news for you because I want you to know. I want you to know from the deepest places that I can tell you. I want you to know from conviction that there is life beyond the rubble because God is not finished. In fact, just for kicks, would you say that with me? There is life beyond the rubble because God is not finished. Oh, there's life beyond the rubble because our God is not finished. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would stir. I pray that you would move us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal through your spirit the truth that comes from your word. Lord, the fact that you are not finished. Even when we may feel 
like we are gagging on dust of the rubble. Lord, you're not done. Now, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our ears and our mind would be attentive to what your words are today. I pray this in your name. Amen. Because I believe that this is true, because I believe this to be true from what we read in these two books called Ezra and Nehemiah, which is the story of the rebuilding of that temple and the rebuilding of that wall. We're going to take a look at these two books of the Bible together. In fact, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the two books are one book combined. And we're going to look sometimes at the rebuilding of the temple, and sometimes we're going to look at the rebuilding of the wall. They happen about 150 years apart, but we're going to look at them together because God is stirring that together. And so I want you to know that there is life beyond the rubble because God is not finished. So let's dig in uh, this morning. Uh, the first thing that I want you to hear, the first thing that I want you to know as we look at this passage of Scripture is that your situation <laughs> may not be what you want. Okay, is that, is that a headline? Is that news to anybody that's here today? Uh, that your situation, your circumstance, the difficulties that you may be facing right now, that may not be what you want. In fact, for sure... That was the case in the circumstance and the situation with the people of God that were sitting there in Babylon. In fact, we have little snippets of what their life like was in Babylon. One of the snippets that we get of what their life was like in Babylon is Psalm 137. I want you to hear what Psalm 137 it says. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, we hung up our lyres. We don't even want to sing anymore. For our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We sat by the river and we wept. We remembered the good old days in the great city of Jerusalem and its temple. We hung up our harps and our lyres because we didn't even want to sing those songs anymore. But people who wanted to really jab it to us would come up to us and say, hey, sing one of your holy songs from that temple that's been destroyed. They're just sticking it to them. And not only did they not want to bring joy and mirth to their captors, they said, how do you sing a song? How do you sing a song about Jerusalem when Jerusalem is gone. There's a whole series of psalms that they would sing as they would march to Jerusalem for worship. How do you sing those songs when you know that Jerusalem is a pile of rubble? How do you sing that when your situation is not what you want? I want you to know that your situation may not be what you want, but hear me, hear me, hear me. God is faithful. Your situation may not be what you want, but hear me, hear me, hear me. God is faithful. He has not forsaken his people even as they are in Babylon. And I will tell you that he has not forsaken you even if you sit in a place that you don't want to sit today. I will tell you that he continued 
that our God continued to speak to his people even when they have been removed and placed in exile there in Babylon. Sometimes the kids today talk about ghosting someone. That's when you cut off all relationship with them and you never speak to them again. God never ghosts his people. In fact, even though they've been picked up and carried away from the place that they love, they put in a circumstance that they can't ha handle, they, 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 they can't abide by. I want you to know that he continued to provide prophets who spoke to them on his behalf. There, as long as the city of Jerusalem stood, Isaiah and Jeremiah spoke into their lives. Isaiah and Jeremiah gave them words for those moments. Isaiah and Jeremiah gave them words and said, listen, this is what's coming. This is what's going to happen. Let me prepare you for what is coming because I love you and because I care for you. And then God continues to speak into their life and to care uh, for them. Even there, he, he gives them a voice of prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel who will not only send messages from Jerusalem, but they will be in Babylon as well and sit with those people and say, God still has a word for you. Oh, you may not be in the place that you want to be, but God remains faithful. You see, he was continuing to care for them. He was continuing to, to look after them because what they needed was they needed a reset. The whole nation needed a reset. Now, they didn't know that they needed that. They didn't feel that they needed that. That wasn't on the top of their, of their list, but that nation needed a reset. They had a whole series of inept, corrupt, and weak leaders they needed a reset because they were going nowhere fast. They needed correction. They needed to be told that, listen, it's not just your leaders that are broken, but it's the people who are broken. You continue to rebel. You want to carry around the name of God. You want to carry around the fact that you got a great seat at the temple, but your heart's far from me. And what you're doing between worship services is a joke. And what you're doing, you, you may bring me an offering, but the rest of your life is an offense to me. And so part of God's care for his people was a correction that said, listen, I can't let you keep going that direction anymore. There has to be a change in your life. They needed a reset. They needed a correction and they needed to have a bigger picture of who God was. You see, I think that they had begun to see God as the resident of a small square inside of another square inside of a specific city. And so that's where God is. And so, oh, no, 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 no. Everything you know, that's the beginning of where God is. And God is not relegated to the Holy of Holies inside the temple, inside of Jerusalem. God is larger than that. And you need to know that this is not just God in a box in a small place, but he's a God of everything. And in fact, in the opening chapter of Ezekiel, one of the wildest chapters that you'll read in the Bible, Ezekiel has a vision. 
And it's a strange vision. Parts of it remind us of the vision of Isaiah chapter 6, where there's this vision of the holy place of God, and it's this image of the holy of holies, and Isaiah is invited into the holy of holies, and, and he sees the, the glory of God, and says, this is amazing, this is wonderful, but it, but it seems to be anchored right there in that holy place in the middle of the temple. Of course that's where God shows up. But in Ezekiel chapter 1, you get this image, you get this picture that is very similar to Isaiah chapter 6 of that image of the Holy of Holies. But this time, the difference is that all of those same attributes, and this is where the vision gets weird, because he keeps talking about a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel. And I believe that the message of Ezekiel chapter 1 to the people of God that are residing in Babylon is God doesn't live in a box. He moves and goes anywhere that God wants to go. And if your picture of God is just a God who lives in a small box inside of a room, inside of a temple, inside of a city, then you have missed it, and you must understand that God is larger than any picture of God that you have had. So while they are in Babylon and they say, I don't like to be in Babylon, I don't want to be in Babylon, he was caring for them because he spoke into them and he was teaching them, he was correcting them, he was resetting their lives and said, you have underestimated the size of your God. Is it possible that in your circumstance today that there's something in life that needs to be reset? Is there something in life that needs to be corrected? Is your picture and image of God too small and it needs to be increased? And maybe that's what he's doing in your life right now in this moment, in this situation. You may not like where you are, but our God is faithful. I would also tell you, you might not like this one. That your situation may last longer than you want. Your situation may last longer than you want. And you remember your kids in the car? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We had times where you want to go home. It's the same kind of thing. Can we go home now? Can we go home now? Can we go home now? I will tell you from I will tell you from day one. The people of God in Babylon said, Can we go home? Their circumstance was that they were in Babylon, but they wanted to be in Jerusalem. And the question that they asked every single day was, Can we go home now? Can we go home now? Now, I, I don't know, they may have been trying to figure out some escape plans. They, they may have been trying to figure out, did anybody leave any breadcrumbs so that we know how to get home? If you take a look at the map, uh, when you see the map, the problem is, is that the distance from Babylon to Jerusalem is way too far. And it's way too dangerous. You can't just sneak out. But the people of God just kept asking, can we go home now? Can we go home now? And the prophet Jeremiah gives them a word and says, Nope. He says, Unpack. Make plans. Figure out where your kids are going to get married in that town. Wow. 
He says, you're going to be there 70 years. Think about 70 years. 2091. 2091. If you want to buy those New Year's glasses for 70 years from now, it's 2091. I will be a spry 120 years old. 70 years. That's almost twice as long as the people wandered in the wilderness. 70 years is a whole lifetime. Can we go home? Can we go home? Can we go home? How about now? How about now? How about now? Nope. This is going to last longer than you want it to last. The reality is that your situation may last longer than you want, but hear me, hear me, hear me. God is at work. This is where we zero in on Ezra chapter 1. In Ezra chapter 1, it tells us here in verse 1, it tells us that God is at work. You see, God is at work in this king named Cyrus, this king who comes to power from Persia, and he is the man who conquers the Babylonians. As powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was who defeated and destroyed Jerusalem and took them into captivity, that big bad dude, Cyrus, is the one who defeats his empire. He's bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. He's bigger than the first problem. But God begins to do some things in Cyrus so that this Cyrus, who is even stronger and more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar, begins to reverse every single thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. In fact, I love what it says here in the first couple of verses of Ezra chapter 1. It says that God began to stir in the heart of Cyrus to fulfill his prophecy to Jeremiah because the 70 years was about to be up and God says I'm working on it and God begins to work in the heart of this pagan ruler Cyrus and he begins to do his deed and listen to what Cyrus does Cyrus does three amazing things Cyrus issues a proclamation basically it is an emancipation proclamation it is saying all of the people of God who are in captivity in Babylon, you can go home. The doors are unlocked. You have freedom, you have permission, you have encouragement to go back home. The captivity is over. It is a huge deal. It is a proclamation that says you are free. The second thing he does, because he addresses the fact that it's a big distance from Babylon to Jerusalem, and that's not an easy journey. And this kind of shows up in the small print here. But he allows them to take a free will offering in the towns and the communities that they live. Basically, Cyrus says, you have the green light to fundraise, to do fundraisers, bake sales, and whatever else you want to do to raise money to go back to Jerusalem. Now that's a really big deal because without that proclamation, without that specific part of the proclamation, if you are a captive people raising money to leave and go back to Jerusalem, that's rebellion. 
That's death penalty stuff. But Cyrus says, you're allowed to go back and you're allowed to publicly out the town square, ask your neighbors to help pay for what it's going to take to get you back to Jerusalem. That was a huge stirring. The people of God did not see that coming. I promise you that Cyrus would say, you are free and you have permission to raise money to help cover the costs to go back. And then, did you see what else he did? I love this. When Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple, he noticed that in the temple were some bright, shiny objects. And he said, they look good, Babylon. We're not burning that stuff down. That stuff's worth money. Well, we got a museum we can put that stuff in. We, we've got, we, we've got the, the royal treasury that we can put those things in. And so all of those gold items that you would read about in Solomon's dedication of the temple, all of those sacred pieces of that temple, were stolen. Cyrus tells somebody, go get the Jerusalem collection out of storage and hand it back over to the people of God. Now, first of all, my hat's off to the archivist who kept track and stored and labeled where everything came from so that he could go back and find 70 years later the stuff that came from Jerusalem and from the temple. I mean, Nice job out of organization skills there in, in Babylon. But again, the people of God thought all of that stuff was lost. They thought they would never see that again. The emperor, the king, is going to announce that you can go back, that you can raise money to go home, and he's going to give us the sacred instruments of the temple back into our hands again? Oh, let me tell you, your situation may last longer than you want it to last, but hear me, hear me, hear me. Your God is at work. He stirred the heart of Cyrus. But I also love the fact that in this chapter, he also says that he stirred the hearts of the heads of the families of Judah and Benjamin. Because it wasn't just the importance of Cyrus saying you're allowed to go home and rebuild the temple. But some people had to say, I'll go do it. They had to say, well, Jeremiah, you told us to plant gardens. You, you told us to marry our kids here. You, you told us to do this stuff. I, I ended up with a pretty nice house. I got a pretty nice business here. They got hanging gardens. I mean, where are we going to go? That journey is a dangerous journey. The city doesn't exist. It's a pile of rubble. I don't know that if I'm up for that. But God stirred in the heads of the families of Judah and Benjamin, men and women who said, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'm ready. I'll go do it. And in fact, just for fun, if you want to read chapter 2, if you like pronouncing Bible names, chapter 2 is for you. Jason asked her, are we reading chapter 2 out loud? And no, we're not reading chapter 2 out loud. 
But chapter 2 matters because it's a listing of people's names based on their families, based on where they're from, based on the way in which they served. And it is a connection. This is who they were, and this is who their family was when Jerusalem was standing, and those same families from those same places with those same tasks are going back home. It's rooted in the promises of God. Where you are may last longer than you want it to be, but trust me, God is at work even in this moment doing things beyond our imagination. I would also tell you that you may feel alone and forgotten. Say, Pastor, you can say all of those nice things, but but I don't feel it and I don't see it but I want you to know that God is stirring deeper and bigger I want you to know that even when you feel alone and forgotten our God is amazing now, now, now that's kind of just a, an open statement it's because I, I don't have better words our God is amazing because what I want you to see is that God while they were there in Babylon there were several things that happened one of the things is that they become a people who were driven to the word because they no longer had a place so if they wanted to connect with God they had to become students of his word so they could hear the character and the voice and the nature of God and I will tell you his word overrides a place any day because what he says is this has to go to your heart and not just to your habits. This has to go deeply inside of you. So that changes how the people worship moving forward. This is the beginning of synagogues where people would come and gather and study the word. This is the beginning of people who say, if we want to know God, we have to know his word and we have to hear his voice. It remains the foundation of the kind of church that we are today, to hear his word so that we can hear his voice and know him. But there's a little footnote here. Do you remember Christmas? Do you remember the nativity sets that you have at your house? You got the shepherds that come. They were out watching their flocks by night just outside of Bethlehem. But do you remember the other folks in the story? The wise men who came from the east searching for the star related to the king that was born? That's the people of Babylon. That's the people of Babylon. And they began to discover about who God is because the people of God had been placed among them for 70 years and they studied the word together. And so even when the people of God went back to Jerusalem, they left behind the word of God so that when that star appears, like we have heard about this, and they load up their camels, and they head to meet 
the King Jesus, who's greater than Cyrus, greater than any other king that exists. You see, our God plays the long game. He's not just here to bless you for this afternoon or for next week. Our God is planning to bless you for generations down the road. And it is possible that what God is stirring inside of your life this day is something that he wants to bless your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren with. My life is different today because my grandfather and my grandmother became believers in Christ. They came from families that did not believe and I stand here as your pastor today because of something that happened two generations ago. God plays the long game. And it may be that you feel alone and that you feel isolated and you don't see it happening, but let me tell you, he is stirring and he is moving to do great things, even beneath the surface, that we may never see with our own eyes. So what does this mean? Let me just give three quick applications today. The first is, I want you to know that difficulties don't disqualify you from the love of God. They sat by the rivers of Babylon and wept because they felt separated from the things of God. You may be sitting by your own river and weeping right now. And I'm not going to tell you not to weep because some things are worth weeping over. But I will tell you that your circumstances, your difficulty does not disqualify you and isolate you from the love of God. Did you hear that? I need you to hear that. I need you to know that. I need you to believe that. Again, the second one is not going to be as fun. Sometimes you have to be patient. Man, I almost didn't write that down because nobody wants to be told they have to be patient. That's a miserable... Well, you're just going to have to be patient. I mean, if I could eliminate sentences from my life, I think you have to be patient would be one of the sentences I would like to... My wife is nodding her head. Patience is not my, my, is not my number one virtue. But I have to say it because it's true. I can't promise you that things are going to turn or that they're supposed to turn or that your situation or that your season, that you're in the last two minutes of that situation. I can't tell you that. I can tell you that God is working and that his timing is perfect and it may be that you have to be patient because it may still be quite a haul still in front of you. Be patient. He continues to work. And then I would tell you that the loving God, the God that we just, of all power, that we've just read about and studied, continues to be at work in your life right now. The key is will you yield and allow him to work inside of your life? Will you be patient 
Will you allow him to reset something that needs to be reset? Will you allow him to correct something that needs to be corrected? Will you allow him to stir you when it's time to pick up and go? He's at work. Will you yield to what he wants to do? Let's pray together. We read this morning from Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with the goods and with beasts, and besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then arose up the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin, and of the priests and the Levites, and everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were with about them aided them with the vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out so that Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah, and this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazzar bring up when the exiles were brought up out of Babylonia to Jerusalem. Now these were the people of the province who came out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and to Judah, each to his own town.